Welcome to the Principles of Success. Inter not interviewing the experts. Welcome to the Principles of Success. Today we're talking about another fun subject. I hate the last three episodes. Today we are talking about economics and politics. The reason why I hate the last three episodes is because if I didn't lose you when I talked about debt, and if I didn't lose you when I talked about taxes and taxable accounts, I'm most certainly going to lose a few of you when we talk about today's episode of economics and politics. The reason why this is an important episode, even though I would prefer not to talk about it, is because economics and politics play massive roles in your financial well-being. If you do not believe me, how's the inflation going for you? That is a direct result of certain politics. If you're having trouble with the supply chain, that is a direct result of certain politics. That is a direct result of the global economics. A unstable economy is much harder to achieve financial success than a stable one. Regulations can impede or help depending on what they are. Very rarely do regulations help for the business side. Regulations are usually for the employee side on, in a business aspect. In a real estate aspect, regulations hurt the real estate market but they have a role in protecting you from having a building fall in on your head. So let's talk about basic economics. There's the first rule, which everyone knows, supply and demand. When there is less supply and lots of demand, prices go up. The prime example of this is the current United States housing market. I believe most of the rest of the world is suffering from similar circumstances. Part of that is due to politics. Part of that is just due to population changes. Like, there is not a housing shortage in the middle of nowhere, podunk areas. There is a housing collapse. Nobody, There's not enough people to buy those houses. Because everybody's moving more to and more to s cities. Because they don't want to deal with the inconvenience of living rural, rural. But part of it is due to politics, especially of politics that happened decades ago. And if you live outside of America, I'm not just talking about American politics, but American politics have a massive effect on the globe because America's the big boss. If you don't believe me, ask Ukraine and how they're dealing with a aftermath of America appearing weak to Russia. So that's all general stuff. Let's dive into more particulars of economics and politics. I already started to talk about supply and demand. You should look for economic opportunities when there is low supply and high demand for something. A example in one of the books that I just read, I uh, will probably have done a book review on it several weeks ago from your perspective, uh, is of, dog, of a dog walker. There wasn't very many dog walkers in his area, and there was lots of people with dogs. So there was a low supply of dog walkers and a high demand for a need of dog walkers. That's basic supply and demand. Next is kind of related to that, and that is shifting markets. I don't care how good your horse and buggy business was, you could be the best that ever existed. If you don't shift in the changing economic market of the existence of cars, your business is going to go downhill rather quickly. 
That includes all related businesses like whip makers and wooden wagon wheel creators. Any business that was involved in that particular market had to either shift drastically or collapse. Another great example of more modern times is if you are a CD producer, for some of the younger audiences, you might not have even seen a CD, then you needed to shift to digital downloads. If you were a music producer, you had to accept the fact that music was now free and that you were in the business of content creation and making your money from concerts and brands instead of from people pur purchasing your albums. These are all examples of shifting economics. Next, let's just talk about how there's multiple schools of economics. There's, um, just off of the top of my head, there's Keynesian, Austrian, blah, blah, blah. Essentially, there's two actual thoughts. There is the big government, which includes everything from communism to just liberalism, to free market, which includes a lot of conservatism and capitalism. That's why even some of the most uh, liberal-leaning people will say that they are liberal socially, um, right-leaning economically, because there's the free market and then there's government markets. And I will not put a value statement on which one is better, even though I think you probably all know which one I actually think is better and which one is dumb. But there's different schools of economics, and that's how you can get such differing opinions on what policy, which is politics, should be implemented to try and give the most people a chance at success. Because I will give at least the Marxists the or at least the liberals the benefit of the doubt. I won't give the Marxists the benefit of the doubt. I'll give at least the liberals the benefit of the doubt that they care about poor people, just like I care about poor people and everybody cares about poor people. Marxists are focused on hating the rich. There's a difference. It's not the same thing. But we all want to try and make as many people as possible have as big of a chance at, to financial success as possible. Oh, I hate recording these episodes. <laughs> If you got a problem with what I said in any of the last three episodes, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. I love hearing from you guys, especially when, um, well, I, I, I love hearing from you guys, period. I love it when you guys tell me how much you appreciate it and is there anything that you can do for me? And I enjoy hearing feedback on what I could do better and what you disagree with. So if you disagree with any of the things I've said in the last three episodes, Enlighten me by going to Instagram at Nathan Dickinson, and I will happily be yelled at. I actually enjoy it. And just make sure you spell my last name right, otherwise you probably won't find me. Next up, let's talk about price controls, which is another economics and politics subject. Price controls does not work, and price controls include minimum wage, rental pricing, and market caps. Ugh. Okay, so let's talk about minimum wage. Minimum wage only serves to price people out of the market and increasing minimum wage increases inflation. So let's break that down. I would love to hire somebody for, like I would love to hire somebody who is disabled 
to do a very simple job that I honestly probably don't even need done. I just want to give them a job. I would love to hire them for, let's say, $3 an hour as just a example to do a job that might produce maybe three, four dollars an hour worth of value. With minimum wage being seven dollars, that job just doesn't get done, that person doesn't get hired. Can they live off of three dollars an hour? Probably not. Can they live off of no dollars an hour because I can't hire them? Absolutely not. Next, let's talk about the inflation aspect of it. If you arbitrarily require a business to pay more than what the job's value is currently worth to the business, they have two options. They either go out of business, which means less supply, which means prices go up, aka inflation, or they increase their prices to justify the arbitrarily increased wage, aka inflation. That holds true for any price control deal. I used minimum wage, even though I know anyone on the left side probably hates my guts now. Um, that holds true for rental controls as well. Rent going up ridiculously pisses me off. It pisses, it obviously pisses off everybody, but it pisses me off. However, by arbitrarily capping inflation, like what they, or rental income, like what they did in California, results in nobody wanting to, none of the investors, none of the real estate people, wanting to buy a piece of property for more than X amount because they can't make any money from it which means they go into shortages. And that's the other side of the of price controls. Price controls only create shortages and inflation. Next, let's talk about regulations. I am very much a free market capitalist, but let's toss the regulation people a bone. Unions have a role to play in economics. And all, now all the super right-leaning people or conservative people are ticked at me. But unions are an important role. Do, are they as an important role as the left side believes? Not remotely close. But if a company is government-funded, like for instance schools, is actively underpaying its employees, that's where a union is useful. So I'll use an actual example. Let's say the state government issues a budget for employees of schools to get a 5% raise due to inflation, even though inflation is way higher than 5%. Uh, let's say they give them a approval for a 5% raise. And then the school decides that the school employees get a 1.5% raise due to many outlying factors. And the administration gets massive races. That is a prime example of where unions are useful. The con of unions, though, is that just like any other entity, they're power hungry. And I'll use school example. But by the way, that was an actual example. Um, the other con to, let's say, school unions is you can't fire the bad teachers because they are protected. But that was on unions. Let's talk about regulations. Are you? Let's talk about some of the regulations that are currently ticking me off for my farm-related business ventures. The food regulations in America are ridiculous and terrible. In most states, you are not legally allowed to buy 
food from somebody from your neighbor. A lot of states are doing things that are called food freedom acts to reverse a lot of that, but you are not allowed to buy from your neighbor. You have to buy from a giant factory where they have to put on hazmat suits because the air is so toxic because they've crammed a million birds into a couple square feet and so the air is infused with feces. Fun fact, raw chicken will burn your hands if you handle it for a prolonged period of time due to their flesh being infused with feces. So in enjoy the Walmart chicken that you bought this week. I just ate chicken a uh, couple weeks ago from Walmart so I'm, it's not like I'm any better than you but the purpose of regulations is to prevent the consumer from harm. And regulations are written by big government for big business. The con of re uh, regulations is that it destroys small businesses and innovators. So if a regulation costs a business $10,000 for licensings and uh, a chemical treatment plant for the toxic birds... Well, that's no big deal for a giant corporation. I'm like, oh yeah, sure. But if it's a backyard chicken operation, and then depending on your state, they're like, no, to operate a chicken operation, even though your chickens are perfectly healthy because they are out in the woods like they're supposed to, well, for, to be able to do that, you need a giant chemical cleaning uh, room, and we need to be able to inspect that. I am actually not personally dealing with this. This is just example of stuff that I've encountered in my research stuff. Um, that's a problem. It keeps young people from entering into that particular market because they don't have $10,000 for a chemical cleaning vat. And that's just a chicken example. Let's talk about a housing example. Building codes. Building codes, do not get me wrong, they do play a important part I don't know about you, but I'd rather be able to go to sleep at night and not have to worry about if the roof is going to cave in on me. The problem with building codes, just like any other regulation, is they block innovation. Like, for instance, one of the cool things that I've been studying is mycelium insulation. Depending on your region, building codes require fiberglass. Mycelium insulation is pretty cool because you can make it yourself. I'm doing quite a few big building projects that I'm like, huh. I wonder if I can just make my own insulation and save a bunch of money. Another example might be um, being forced to build your structure out of 2x4s just because the code doesn't include alternative construction methods that are way cheaper. They, and because of that, construction companies have to conform to this very rigid code, which is more expensive to do it this way, even though the other way is perfectly valid which increases house prices. Next, let's talk about regulations for construction businesses. OSHA is super important. Keeps employees safe. OSHA is also freaking ridiculous. And when every step of the process of building a house is highly regulated, which again, I don't want my house falling in on me, is highly regulated, that, inc that constricts the market more and more and more. This is why houses in California for a tiny little shack cost half a million dollars and houses in Texas for nice big houses cost a couple hundred thousand dollars. Part of that is also due to supply and demand, but that's why I use Texas as an example and not Oklahoma because Texas is in high demand. Actually, the whole nation is in high demand because the market has been so constricted that there's just so little supply and there's just so much demand. 
And that actually goes into another example of politics and economics affecting your financial success. Since I'm on the tangent of houses, let's talk about 2008. One of the main reasons why we have such exploding prices of houses right now is due to all of the political and economic shenanigans that happened in 2008 that all the construction businesses went out of business. We stopped building new houses for a really long time. And because we stopped building houses for a really long time, the supply dried up. There's no supply left. We're not, by the way, if any of you are waiting for a housing market crash, it's not coming anytime soon, unless the entire market crashes and then you have other things to worry about. Price, the prices of housing are going sky high due to past economic and political policies that made it so houses just stopped getting built so there's no supply, which then makes supply and demand come into effect. So I think that is enough of ranting about economics and politics. Let's talk about why you should care for a second and why I did this stupid episode and why I did these last multiple several episodes. If you're not aware of how debt works, if you're not aware of how taxes screw you over, if you're not aware of how politics and economics play in your financial future, you're going to have a really hard time winning. These are all basically episodes on the playing field. And the playing field changes over time. For instance, when I started this podcast, we were not in an inflationary spiral. So saving for a long, big business opportunities was a great way to be financially successful. Now that we're in a inflationary spiral, I have a zero savings because I am reinvesting very quickly as fast as possible because the money is devaluing every second that I hold it. The catch is I can't make big long-term plays like what I was doing previously. I have to make short-term plays. So understanding is super important and understanding that people's stupidity in the political spectrum are going to affect it. And it is partially your job financially to make sure that you financially can be successful to help steer people in whatever direction that you think is important. So I will leave that there for today, and I will see you all next week.